I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool things in the past. This this episode, we're going to talk about some of my favorite things. Oh, like raindrops on roses. No. Like whiskers on kittens. No. Like brown paper packages tied up with string. No. Like girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes. No. Some of these are practically tongue twisters. <laughs> What are we going to talk about? We are going to talk about the sound of music. Oh. And and the Von Trapp family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You can kind of mesh those together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were close, but <laughs> a little I, off. I was missing the forest for the trees, I guess. We're mm-hmm. doing this episode because of a very special, important event we recently went to. What one of our family holiday traditions now? The sound of music sing-along. Yeah, uh, this is an event at Music Box Theater in Chicago, though your local independent film theaters might have something like it. Yes, it it is like something that is across the country, other countries as well, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's it's very, if you're familiar with Rocky Horror, Shadowcast things, it's basically everything with that, just no Shadowcast, yeah. and you sing a lot. You've got... <laughs> callbacks you've got people improvising things to shout at the screen you get props a little baggie of people of coming props costume <laughs> we did we were awesome <laughs> we killed it yeah because that's what you want in a costume contest blood sport yes so first off the basic plot so yeah, of if, the sound of music if in, you haven't seen the film in case you live under a rock here's what the sound of music's about so it takes place in Salzburg, Austria. In the last golden days of the 30s, according yes. to a title card. In, in 1938. <laughs> uh, it's the story of Maria. She's a very spirited woman uh, who is working her way to become a nun. But she isn't really, like, nun material. Loves music and the mountains and has a very free spirit. She's always late. She's always late. She's always singing when she shouldn't be singing. And she doesn't really follow the rules well. Captain Von Trapp uh, is a man who lost his wife and needs a governess to look after his seven children, who are ages 5 to 16. And this is after his children have run off previous governesses. A dozen or so. Yes. They're very rough. He, like, writes to the Abbey and is like, hey, I need a governess for my children. And they send Maria. Now, the captain is very strict military man, and Maria is... You can't tell her what to do. You can't tell her what to do. And he, the captain's away, wooing a baroness. And they're so nice together. And while he's away, uh, Maria befriends the children, uh, teaches them to sing, have fun, play. Um, She makes them a lot of clothes out of curtains. And then when the captain returns, he's very furious that his children are playing in curtains. And that they're singing. Climbing trees. But wait. No, they're singing. That's a good thing. And he ends up getting one over. Mm-hmm. And originally he's like, Maria, leave. And then he's like, no, don't leave. You brought music into our house. And uh, then the Baroness becomes very uneasy about his his sudden change of his, wanting his Maria. relationship with yes. this hot young nun. Yes. So the Baroness manipulates Maria into leaving uh, saying the captain is obviously in love with her, which makes Maria very nervous. And she runs back to the Abbey. She doesn't want to ruin a good thing. No, she's all like, she's the Baroness got, is going to be their mother. She's like, like one mother. month from a vow of celibacy. She can't be getting mixed up in this. 
But then Maria's at the Abbey trying to hide, and Mother Abbess finds out that she's really there avoiding her feelings, and she's like, nuh-uh, you gotta go face them. Get mm-hmm. back there. You gotta climb every climb mountain. Climb every mountain. And sometimes that mountain's name is Christopher Plummer. And so Maria returns and finds the Baroness and the Captain engaged, and she agrees to stay until another governess can be found. But then the Captain ends up breaking off his engagement to the Baroness because he realizes his true feelings for Maria. And then they get married, and while they are away on their honeymoon, the Nazis come. The Anschluss. And and they take they annex Austria into the Third Reich and order Captain Von Trapp to serve in the Navy. The Captain and Maria return, they gather the family, and they plan to leave under nightfall mm-hmm. that night, which is also the night that the family is supposed to sing in a festival against the Captain's wishes. They try to sneak out of their house, but the butler gives them away, because he's a Nazi. Yeah. So they try to sneak away, but they're caught. So they use their story of, well, like, oh, we are in our travel clothes, because we're they're costumes for singing, so we're going to go sing now. And they're like, it's well, we'll tense. escort you there. Yeah. And so they sing, and uh, then while they are announcing the winners of this music festival, they sneak away, and they go hide in the abbey where the Nazis chase them to, and mm-hmm. then eventually they sneak out, and they go climb across the mountains, walking across them on foot to Switzerland. Be- because the, the roads are closed. The roads are closed. The so... borders are closed. They got to sneak. Mm-hmm. The end. And also, Uncle Max is amazing. So that that's the plot. Mm-hmm. Is that a good rundown of yeah. of the sound and of music? Yeah, it's it's very funny in the first third, and there's a lot of uh, incredible songs. Yeah, and Julie Andrews is is just a dream come to life. Yes, but that's what happens. Yes, yes, that's that's what happens. I mean, there's more stuff. There's girl fall in love with a Nazi who wasn't a Nazi, but now is a Nazi, and he was taken up in the spirit of the thing, Ugh. the spirit of fascism. Yes. Ugh. Watch it if you you haven't seen it. So we're gonna talk about like how it came to be. Okay. The sound of music. So when you say how it came to be, do you mean uh, the film or the real Von Trapp family? Because this is based on a true story. Both. Oh yeah, strap in. Both. We're gonna start with the Von Trapp family in media, and then we're gonna look at the real family and what's true and not true, and what was changed and stuff like that. So what came first in media? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like, the family came first. Right. But the real Maria wrote a memoir called The Story of the Trap Family Singers, published in 1949. The rights for the memoir were uh, bought to make two German films. That's what actually came first in media. Oh, okay. Memoir, then two German films. It was The Trap Family in 1956. And the Trap Family in America, which followed in 1958. These were, <laughs> um, they're both West German films, and they were like super successful in Germany. Oh. Like really, really successful. Paramount Pictures purchased the US film rights in 1956 from the Germans, mm-hmm. the, the German company. They did not buy the film rights from Maria von Trapp. Well, she didn't own them anymore. She sold no, them. She sold them. Like they, they came from there. They bought them intending to produce a film version with Audrey Hepburn as Maria. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
But it wasn't like a musical. It was just going to be like a straight film. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, just a straight film, which was what the German films were. They weren't musicals. But this idea was dropped, and then it was changed to a stage production. Director Vincent J. Donahue thought it would be a great project for actress Mary Martin. Um, She actually would go on to play Maria in the Broadway musical. Okay. Well, I guess he was right. She was also the original Nellie in South Pacific on Broadway. (laughs) Their plan to use her was before they were considering making a musical. It was going to be straight play. Okay. And then they thought, well, maybe we'll add a couple songs. Songs that the family was known for singing. More like... It's it's only natural. You're you're writing a play about a singing group. There ought to be a bit. So there'll be a few songs. A bit. And then it morphed into, well, maybe a couple more songs. And then it turned into a full-on musical. (laughs) (laughs) So the original musical, music and lyrics, were by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's actually their last work together before Hammerstein died. Book by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krause. Based on the memoir, not based on on the German films. I don't know why they'd base it on the German films and not the memoir, (laughs) but just to be clear. Yeah, they they went back to the source. So the original Broadway production opened on uh, November 16th, 1959. Uh, It won five Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Only five? Out of nine nominations. Only nine. Uh, it did run for 1,443 performances. Oh, well, that's a pretty good number. <laughs> Closing on uh, June 15th, 1963. Uh, a West End production opened on 1961 and ran for 2,385 performances. The English love <laughs> this play. And then a new U.S. national tour also ran from February... 1961 till November 1963. All right. Okay. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot of Sound of Music going around. The film came around in 1965. So they were still, like, full-on national tour going. Right, When the film came out. It's an adaptation of the Broadway musical. So they did not go back to the source. They did not go back to the source. It's another bit of abstraction from yes. from the actual story. Yes, it is very close to the musical. There's just there are some changes, and we're going to talk about that eventually. Um, so the film screenplay was by Ernest Lyman. Uh, he did the King and I, West Side Story, Hello Dolly, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Most of those are good movies. There's <laughs> a lot of them. I got a thing about Hello Dolly. So it's directed by Robert Wise, who mm-hmm. did The Day the Earth Stood Still, what, West uh, Side Story, okay. Star Trek The Motion Picture. What? what? Yeah. So, th- okay, this really puts into context the, the like, slow, billetic scene of, of the, the Enterprise first coming out of Dry Dock. Oh, yeah, from the director of West Side Story. Now it makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was released March 2nd, 1965. Uh, it was actually released as a limited roadshow release, so not everywhere. Critic response was kind of mixed, but it became a huge commercial success, as we know. It was number one in the box office after four weeks. It was the highest grossing film of the year. By November 1966, it was the highest grossing film of all time, which it held for five years. After taking away from Gone with the Wind... And then Gone with the Wind took it back. Yeah, it, it had 33 years a head start. Yeah. Sound of Music, however, is credited as, like, saving Paramount. Okay, that, After yeah. the Cleopatra disaster. <laughs> it did uh, break box office records in 29 other countries as well. 
And its initial film release lasted for four and a half years. They did that back then. That's how it worked. Uh, It won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Director. As many as it won Tonys. So the movie starred Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. Julie Andrews actually didn't originally want to take the part Mm -hmm. because she had just finished filming Mary Poppins, which hadn't come out yet. And she was worried that they were like too similar. She didn't want to be the perfect singing nanny in everything. Yeah, and well, and Mary Poppins was her first like film role, mm-hmm. like major film role. So it was like, do I want to do two of the same thing? And Christopher Plummer said he hated working on the film <laughs> and he hated Julie Andrews, though they're friends now. It doesn't um, show. They're such professionals, though. Yes. To go back to, uh, uh, doesn't show that he was drunk for half of it either. <laughs> But, okay, Hello, Dolly, they did hate each other, and it tanks half the movie. But that's part of their character, though, is that they're supposed to hate each other. But they do it in a way that's really not fun to watch. (laughs) And they eventually like each other, but they clearly don't. (laughs) The music Mm -hmm. in the original musical was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. As we said, Hammerstein had died before the movie came out. So Richard Rodgers came on to work the music again. So they kept the majority of the same songs, but there were some additions and then some songs that were removed. And he was in charge of all that. Um, well, yeah, bring in the expert, I guess. Yes. So the two songs that were added were I Have Confidence and Something Good. Songs that were removed were An Ordinary Couple, which was actually replaced with Something Good. It's a very ironic name for that song. An ordinary couple is not better. <laughs> I listened to it. It's not. It's not better. Um, or how can love survive and no way to stop it? Which were both uh, songs that focused on Elsa, the Baroness, and Max, the, money-loving the uncle. uncle. He's so great, though. Um, and the captain was also in one of those. Some of the like why some of these songs were taken away. Uh, no way to stop it was a song that actually um, offered a different view of. The characters mm-hmm. of uh, the Baroness and Max and the Captain. And, like, in the movie, their, like, breakup is very much focused on him just being in love with Maria. And, like, sh- she wants an extravagant life and he kind of wants a life with his family now. Yeah, he's rediscovered his love for his children. Yeah. And the best thing for his children is Maria. Yeah, and that's kind of, like, what their relationship split is focused on. This song of uh, No Way to Stop It, it actually shows um, the Baroness having very different political feelings, like the oh, character she, she's of Max. Oh, like, super into Anschluss? She, she's not, like, a Nazi supporter, but she's like Max, who's like, well, just don't get on their bad side. Just let them do their thing. We didn't do anything he, wrong. He, he cannot live with a don't rock the boat moderate. Yeah, that's the, the song... Is them all sharing their different political opinions, and in the end, he states basically he can't be with someone who has no political opinion and doesn't take a side in such a thing it's so important. As fascists taking over your country. Yeah. So its removal was to put the focus of their breakup on a different area and to kind of remove some of the political opinions of it. I mean, it, it clearly helped it become more commercially successful, more uh, uh, audience-pleasing at the time. But I wonder if it wouldn't do the opposite today. 
Because the biggest cheer is when he tears that Nazi flag in oh, half. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's, yeah. Rip that Nazi flag in <laughs> and, half. And when he tells off Max for voicing that opinion. Yes. Not in a song, that just in dialogue. Glare. Death glare. Yeah. And if you were to keep that song, you'd have to you'd have to do more, I feel like, earlier on to show some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I believe, if I remember correctly from seeing the stage version to the film, there are some scenes between, like, Max and the Baroness that are cut where they talk just a bit more about everything that's going on. Those are definitely cut from the film. Mm-hmm. Sorry, three hours. Let's not <laughs> add more. <laughs> now, as for an ordinary couple and something good, uh, it's said that Robert Wise and Shaw Chaplin um, asked Rogers to replace ordinary couple, and Rogers, like, agreed instantly, <laughs> stating that, well, we both wanted to do that originally but hammerstein was too ill when they were writing it to like take the time to rewrite the song um so he did that and honestly like you need to listen to an ordinary couple it's not good (laughs) it's really not both of these songs yes in one version or the other of the song they sing to each other when like their their secret feelings are coming out yes and like this is what it is now when they're getting together yeah Something good is, it's just weird there. It's not even that it's like a b- bad song. It's one of the best shot songs. I think musically it's the weakest part of the movie, but like when they're framed in the the smooch gazebo in silhouette, it's gorgeous. <laughs> you want to know something about that silhouette? Sure. That wasn't originally planned. <laughs> Apparently the lighting is very like pink lighting when okay. they were actually lit. Apparently... Julie Andrews just kept giggling because she's like, I look like a strawberry (laughs) and just laughed through the entire scene. And after like 20 takes, they finally just lit them in silhouette so they could hide her giggles. (laughs) See, Julie Andrews is a perfect human being. She makes everything better, even by accident. Yeah, Yeah. because it is. It's so great with the silhouette. But that was apparently because she was giggling (laughs) because she looked like a strawberry. (laughs) It didn't help that she was covered in seeds. (laughs) going into some more song stuff there was also some like song rearranging so the song lonely goat herd which is like my favorite it's what our <laughs> costumes were for uh-huh was originally placed to be sung during the thunderstorm to calm the children when maria first arrives which that's, is that's a very calming song it's a song about <laughs> goats falling in love i guess <laughs> and that's that's where in the film favorite things is right makes more sense in the original broadway production favorite things was originally sung between mother abbess and maria before she leaves the abbey to be a governess before she leaves the first time yes before she like goes off to take care of the children and meet them all for the first time they like sing that together i have confidence wasn't in the musical and so I guess it kind of takes the place of that, right. where it's like this, like, these are your favorite things, be strong, be brave, you can go do this. But that's weird. <laughs> they they switched it, and favorite things became the song that comforts the children, and Lonely Goat Herd was moved later on, so it be- could become a very big sequence. The sequence for Lonely Goat Herd was actually done by a very famous um, puppet duo at the time, uh... Bill Bard and his wife, uh, they were known for uh, Charlemagne the Lion, which was a puppet yeah. uh, used on CBS Morning Show in the 50s. And he and his wife were in charge of the goat herd puppetry. 
which he was also known for doing the puppets in the original Dark Shadows TV show. <laughs> um, he made this like ex- expandable puppet nose for a 1968 adaptation of Pinocchio. Oh, cool. Um, and he actually, his first performance with um, the puppetry group he founded was at the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. The Century of Progress exhibition. Yeah. Hey. He also performed at like a bunch of other World's Fairs and other events too. But he was like very, very well known He's at the time. He's the puppet guy. He was the puppet guy at the time before Jim Henson. It was him. <laughs> Another song. It's your favorite song. We're going to talk about Edelweiss. I love it. You love it so much. So you ready to get sad? Yes. It's actually the last song Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote together. Oh. Yeah. The original Broadway musical, it wasn't initially in it. Like, what? They didn't open without it, but the thing was already like auditions were being held, production was going on. And so it was an audition during the rehearsal phase? Uh, during the audition process. Still. Okay. But like things were already underway to like most of it was done. Right. This was this was during the auditions for the Broadway production. Rogers thought that Captain Von Trapp needed a farewell song to Austria before he yeah. left. So in the stage production, as a note, it's not sung twice. It's only sung once at the concert mm-hmm. before they sneak away. In the movie, it's sung twice. Right. Once earlier as well. Rogers and Hammerstein uh, wrote the final song to add to the festival scene. And at the time, that is when, like, Hammerstein was actually, I don't know if you knew this, he suffered from stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. And he actually took his own life. Mm. Um, and he took it about, it was like nine months after Sound of Music opened. At least he got to see the early reviews. Yeah. So it was the it was the last thing. He got to accept his Tonys. Not only is Sound of Music the last thing they did together, that is the last song they oh. wrote together. Because it was added towards the end, so they know specifically that is the last thing. But the song is super was super popular. Yeah. And its popularity um, actually led to a lot of people thinking it was a real Austrian folk song. Yeah. I thought it was <laughs> until a couple minutes ago. It's not. No, like, the flower, yeah, that's kind of, an, like, a big thing in Austria. Like, it is on, like, a coin and other stuff, but it's not an Austrian folk song. No. It should be now, <laughs> dang it. Somebody call Austria and tell them to get with the program. Yeah. You ready for some more sad news? Always. Christopher Plummer didn't do his own singing. I'm not surprised. He actually originally did, and then they dubbed it all. <laughs> um, he actually also learned to play guitar for that scene. I bet they dubbed that too. They dubbed that too. Well, yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. His singing voice was Bill Lee. Bill Lee has done so much stuff. Uh, he did voices in Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan... Um, he was in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, South Pacific. He was the singing voice of Roger in 101 Dalmatians. Aww. Um, he was also in Mary Poppins. Yeah, oh my god, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Cruella yeah. de Vil song and the Edelweiss voice are the same. They are. Oh my god. <laughs> he also was in Mary Poppins, uh, Cinderella, Jungle Book. He, he played small characters or lots of like extra voices. Uh, he was in the Hobbit cartoon. The Rankin and Bass one? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he is the voice of Melvin the Moose in Country Bear Jamboree <laughs> at all the parks. That still have one. Yes. The real Maria Von Trapp does make a cameo appearance in the movie. Oh. Uh, during the I Have Confidence sequence, she can be seen uh, walking in the background with her daughter, Rosemarie. 
Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of people in the background, so I'm not picturing her at all. There are a lot of people in the background, but if if we were to like watch it, you can easily figure out who it is. Okay. Because it's the, the only like mother and daughter like oh, okay. going by. Marnie Nixon made her first on-screen appearance as Sister Sophia. Okay. Sister Sophia being one of the nuns. She's like the sweet one. Oh, the one who says she makes me laugh? Yes. She had spent the past 12 years dubbing and singing in films and performing on stage, too. But she is the voice of the angels in Joan of Arc. She dubbed Margaret O'Brien in Big City and the Secret Garden. (laughs) She dubbed Marilyn Monroe's High Notes for the song Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. (laughs) Uh, She did all the dubbing for Deborah Kerr in The King and I. Nice. And Maria in West Side Story, which was a secret to Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood did not know the studio was having someone record all the dubbing. Simultaneously, like, at the same time. So... It was not until, like, the movie was done that Natalie Wood was told. So you're telling me that Singing in the Rain is also based on a true story? (laughs) Yes. All right, cool. Uh, She would also uh, do Natalie Wood's High Notes in Gypsy. Mm -hmm. And she was Eliza in My Fair Lady, the movie. Like, she she did Audrey Hepburn dubbing. (laughs) I told you we'd come back to this. There you go. It's kind of, it's hilarious considering, like, they could have just put Julie Andrews in it, but they didn't. So instead they gave it to Audrey Hepburn, who does, like, amazing acting. I love yeah. her. But then, like, Marnie Nixon, is her singing voice, was in the side of these. Full circle. So, yeah, it was, it was the first time she was, like, on film and, like, scene. I think she did, like, a couple, like, ensemble background dancer stuff, but this was, like, her, her first real time, which, um... I think it was the director someone said basically they said like it's about time like the world gets to see her yeah uh she was also the voice of grandma fa in mulan <laughs> yeah yeah it's really exciting but sadly she passed away this past july oh she was 86 2016 what are you doing i know grandmother fa can he stay forever <laughs> that that's a sound of music nun saying that yeah the scene where the Nazis marched through Salzburg. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Uh, William Weiler was concerned uh, locals would be, you know, alarmed that, like, Nazi flags are hanging from their buildings, especially since it hasn't been that long right. since it's... Nazis left. Maria von Trapp is in the movie. It's not that long ago. Yeah. The mayor's like, oh, no, it'll be fine. They lived through it once. They can deal with it for a couple days. <laughs> Other city officials were like, I don't think we should do this. But then when they found out the option was either use the props in film or use newsreeled footage that shows the people of Salzburg warmly welcoming the Nazis, they decided to hang up those Nazi flags. So uh, <laughs> in reality, Salzburg was full of Rolfs and, and butlers, at least the people who showed up that day. Apparently. 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 So they decided to uh, let them do it and make it look like they ain't so happy they're around. Um, Climb Every Mountain, which is sung by uh, Mother Abbess to Maria, is sung by Peggy Wood. First off, she didn't do her own singing. Um, she she is known for being a singer. They got time-traveling Audra McDonald. <laughs> no. Okay. So she has stated afterwards that she was far too old to do the vocals. Yeah. And she tried to do them, but she just couldn't hit the range anymore. So her she was dubbed by uh, Marjorie McKay, 
And so she, of course, was having to match this track. She had a really, really hard time, like, hitting the start of the track. She could never match up correctly. And after, like, many, many takes of it just not working, not working, they uh, decided to have her turn to the window so she could, like, start the track facing away Mm -hmm. and then be perfectly synced after because it was just such a tricky start. Well, if you remember in the movie, like, it's very dramatic. (laughs) It's very, like, darkly lit and, like, that's such a beautiful moment. Yeah, uh, it it turns out Robert Wise is the king of the happy accident. Just turn away. Just put them in shadow. <laughs> Director's trademark. Get lucky, I guess. This isn't working. Let's just dim the lights. <laughs> and it works amazingly. So Captain Von Trapp yes. is asked to, ordered. Yeah, asked at gunpoint. <laughs> is ordered to report to Brumerhaven in Germany the next yeah, day. To come out of retirement and command German boats. Yes. And he must get there the next day. It's 600 miles away from Salzburg. (laughs) It's not possible. Well, you know, Werner von Braun was doing incredible things. (laughs) Julie Andrews would sing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to the children uh, between takes. And the movie wasn't even out yet. This is a special preview. (laughs) So the kids thought she made it up. Oh. They didn't know. She never told them, oh, like, oh, this is a song from my movie. (laughs) They didn't know until, like, the movie came out. And then they just felt betrayed and they <laughs> stood up and they threw garbage at the screen. And uh, one one last movie fact to end you with before we take a break here. Uh, Fraulein Schwager. Who comes second runner up, third place. Third place winner of the music festival. If you're not familiar with the film, she comes up onto stage and she bows a lot. Yeah. She just keeps bowing. Apparently she bows 16 times. <laughs> During that, like, 30-second sequence. She's very thankful. She's so thankful. I love her. And we're very thankful for you. So come on back after this quick break, and we'll uh, get some of the truth behind the fiction. Yeah. One little girl in a pale pink coat heard lay o lay o She yielded back to the lonely goat herd lay o lay o Soon her mama with a gleaming gloat heard lay o lay o What a duet for a girl and goat herd lay o lay o So that's what we do for fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now we're gonna talk a bit more about characters. Yeah. In it. And a bit Let, more. Let's match the fiction to truth. Yeah. The characters to the real people um, and kind of the timeline right. that happens before and through the movie and then their life after. So let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. We did that a few episodes ago. It feels like cheating to do it now. <laughs> With Maria. <laughs> So, in the movie, character name is Maria Rayner, which is played by Julie Andrews. The real Maria. Her name is Maria Augusta Couturia. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, She was born in Vienna, Austria in 1905. Uh, She was orphaned by her seventh birthday uh, and raised atheist by a relative. That's why she's such a bad nun. Uh, A relative who's apparently not very nice. She attended a state teacher's college progressive education in Vienna. I hope the acronym works better (laughs) 
than that name. In the Austrian tongue. Yeah. I hope it had a much shorter name. Uh, she attended, accidentally, Palm Sunday service. She thought it was a Bach concert. If I had a nickel for every time. <laughs> what? Jesus? Crazy. It, it was a interesting experience for her because she really had never been. The priest spoke with such, like, passion, and it, it really moved her. Soon after graduating her program, Maria entered the Benedictine Abbey of Nonberg in Salzburg in 1924. At the, the bright age of 19. Yes. Uh, the captain. Yeah. Georg von Trapp. Mr. Hunky Face. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1880. Uh, his real name, it's a long one. Corvette, Captain Georg Johann Ritter von Trapp. Well, Corvette Captain's just a title. But still, his name's his name. really just Georg Johann Ritter von Trapp. Ritter is actually not his name. What? You just told me it's his name. It's in his name. But he was a national hero as captain in the Austrian Navy during World War I. He received the title of Ritter. Ritter is the equivalent of, like, the British Sir. Oh. Yeah. They just put it, like, in your name, okay. I guess. That's that's how, like, anytime you look up his name, like, it, it's written that way. So I guess that's so where you put it. He, he has this long, long official name, but it's really just... Georg Johann von Trapp, if you take yeah. all the titles out. Yeah. He married Agatha Whitehead, uh, granddaughter of the inventor of the torpedo. Oh, so they had a lot to talk about at family dinners. <laughs> Him being a naval captain and all. Yeah. They married in 1912 and had seven children together. Yes. They married when his second wife was seven years old. Something uh, about sea captains on this show. Huh. Uh, he retired from the Navy and shortly after, his wife died in 1922 of scarlet fever, which oh. she had contracted from one of the children. Oh. Uh, shortly after that, uh, the family moved from what is now Pula, Croatia, to Salzburg. They oh. didn't actually live in Salzburg before that time. Now, going back to Maria, Maria, well, in the convent, uh, her health was actually suffering, that, like, she wasn't getting as much exercise and fresh air as she was used to. She was very much, like, inside not getting to do as much as she's used to. So the opening scene of the film is Maria singing and twirling on a mountain she just climbed, breathing in the mountain air. It Wait. begins with a lie. <laughs> the very first Wait. thing. The but real Maria does say, like, she was asked at one point, they're like, well, is it true you were that bad? And she's like, no, I was much worse. <laughs> like, But considering, like, she lived in a very different environment for a long time, and then even going there and just sneaking out to do that stuff, that still can be a very different lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And depending on, like, what, you know, work she was doing, I believe she taught, um, actually, school through the Abbey for children in the mm -hmm. area Well, there. So she's teaching all day. <laughs> she can only sneak away and run in the mountains every so often. <laughs> so when the captain came seeking a teacher... For his sick daughter, he was not seeking a governess for all the children. He had one child who was recovering from scarlet fever. Yeah, and a whole lot of guilt, I'd imagine. Well, this, I think, by then was a different case of scarlet fever, because oh, it was okay. 1926. Okay, yeah. Um, at this point. Um, so he came there looking for someone to tutor his child who was still recovering. Maria was picked partially because of her teacher training, and partly due to them being concerned about her health. 
She's so, got to get out of these musty walls. Yeah. Okay. She was only supposed to be <laughs> and there. Get exposed to scarlet fever instead. <laughs> she was only supposed to be there ten months, and mm-hmm. then she was supposed to return and formally enter the convent. Right. So as I said, Maria was not governess to all the children. The one she was there for was also named Maria. But during her time there, uh, she really got to know the other children and uh, spent a lot of time with them and enjoyed them. Uh, And then the captain fell for her. Now, he asked her to marry him and stay and become a second mother to his children. Maria said, God must have made him word it that way, because if he had only asked me to marry him, I might not have said yes. Aww. Uh, her memoir states that she did not marry him because she was in love with him. She was in love with the children. Well, they were closer to her age, so that makes sense. <laughs> she said, I really and truly was not in love. I liked him, but didn't love him. However, I loved the children, so in a way, I really married the children. And by, I learned to love him more than I had ever loved before or after. Oh, that's very sweet. So they married on November 26th, 1927. She was 22 and he was 47. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was 11 years before they left Austria. Not immediately before. Nothing puts the brakes on your your movie musical faster than a title card that says 10 years later. (laughs) You got to recast all the kids. Yeah. Well, they also went on to have three more children Mm -hmm. in addition, which we'll we'll get to them in a little bit. The captain was actually a very warm-hearted, loving parent who enjoyed music with his family. He was not... Like the strict yeah. military man who like banned them by music. Whistle. No, and the family was also musically inclined before Maria came. Mm-hmm. And Maria, however, was apparently known for like angry outbursts and quite a temper. Um, <laughs> she was known known for going from like one feeling to another, and you never knew what to expect from her. That's just what I want in my second mother. <laughs> That's interesting. They mm-hmm. like completely swept switch them and the family actually the real von trapp family was um very upset by the way the captain was portrayed yeah because they love their papa yeah and this they, is not my papa yeah they tried to reach out about that a few times to the makers of the play in the film with no one really listening this mr hammerstein is not picking up the phone oh <laughs> The family uh, lost much of their wealth during the 1930s Depression. Um, The family took in boarders and uh, let go pretty much all their staff Mm -hmm. in that giant house they had. And they began considering turning singing into a profession at the time. Maria was really the like... As, As a way to promote their giant bed and breakfast. Maria was kind of the one like making that a focus. And at first, Georg... The captain was very uh, reluctant to it, mm-hmm. and not because like he didn't want his family to like sing in public or he had something against that. It was more of like a protection thing, like he didn't want them to be scrutinized against or judged or like he just wanted to protect his family. He, he didn't want a 1930s Austrian TMZ coming after them. I, I, I guess like he just okay. he just wanted them to you know be a family and not be yeah. like famous type thing. He didn't want to be the original Kardashians. Yes. 
jokes. But eventually he came around to it. Uh, the family did win first place in the Salzburg Music Festival Yay! in, in uh, 1936. An actual fact. And they did become very successful. The Nazis uh, took Austria in 1938. Mm-hmm. So two years later after they won. And that was around the time that they were like, we're on very thin ice. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't good. Because Georg had refused the naval command. They did refuse to fly a Nazi flag. Um, they also refused to sing at Hitler's birthday party. <laughs> which I feel like is the big one there. Like, uh, He was probably paying really well, too. If you're like, if you're saying like, I'm not gonna do that. You might want to leave. There were other things that they were also offered. And they were really faced with like, do we accept any of these things and like lose our morals and what we stand for Mm -hmm. because they're coming from the nazi party or do we say no and if we say no we have to leave and they said no this is of all the things that could have been changed i'm so happy to know that this is an element of the film that is true to life yeah. One of my favorite things about the film is how it starts as this, it's it's a comedy, it's a musical comedy that turns into the story of uh, a man who refuses to go one day without resisting the fascist regime. Yeah. And it turns out that is the real Georg von Trapp, and I am so proud of him. Yeah. It's really nice that that is true. <laughs> they did leave, and they left traveling with their music conductor, which their music conductor was their reverend, Franz Washner. Okay. Max Detweiler. Yeah. Their uncle um, was completely fictional. He oh. did not exist. No no one as wonderful could possibly exist. <laughs> yes. So I guess like if you're going to be like, who who is his the, the real person in real life? I guess it's this reverend it's that close, went with the them. The closest like, analog. He, he's encouraging their music. Um, he was actually their musical director for 20 years. Oh. Um, so he went with them, and uh, a secretary by the name of Martha, Martha Zackbauer. Cool. Yes. They did not escape over the Alps to Switzerland. But it's so pretty. Salzburg is nowhere by the Switzerland border. <laughs> but right next to the German border. You don't want to climb those mountains because on the other side of the border is one of Hitler's residencies. So there's a lot more Nazis that way. A lot more Nazis. They went in the direction of most Nazis. Like, main Nazi is right there. In reality, they went to Italy via train. (laughs) The captain was actually born in Zadar, which is now Croatia. Mm-hmm. Well, it became part of Italy in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Thus, he was an Italian citizen. Ah, so a less German kind of fascism to escape to. Yeah, well, so the family was able to go there because of his citizenship. Then they requested fare to America from an American booking agent um, that they were in contact with. Okay, well, th- this is a time when America is still neutral. Yes. All right. So they took the train to Italy, which was in June. Then they went to London. And then by September, they were on a ship to New York. (laughs) And they were planning a concert tour in Pennsylvania. That's how they were, like, able to come. Their last child was born in Pennsylvania. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, Well, there they were originally going by the Trap Family Choir. But they would later change it to the Trap Family Singers um, because the booking agent thought it was too churchy. 
The booking agent was right. That's, yeah. that's not going to play. Yeah. So they were there for uh, six months, and then their visitor visas expired. So they went back to Scandinavia for a tour and a couple other places in Europe. And then they returned to New York in October of 1939. When they were, like, coming, like, through customs, immigration, mm -hmm. they were asked, you know, how long do you intend to stay? And instead of saying six months again, like they were supposed to, Maria cheerfully said she was so glad to be there and never wanted to leave. <laughs> they were held for a couple days before they were released. <laughs> Um, she also said, and I brought so much cocaine. <laughs> but they did end up, like, staying. They they got their, like, paperwork stuff figured out. And in the 1940s, they bought a farm in Vermont. Um, and they ran a music camp there when they weren't on tour mm -hmm. as a family. Uh, in 1944, Maria and uh, four stepdaughters applied for U.S. citizenship. Uh, they gained this in 1948. Georg never filed. Mm -hmm. uh, and the two boys were naturalized when they were serving in World War II. Uh, Maria's own children, like the ones that are biologically hers, mm -hmm. uh, the two oldest got citizenship from her, and then the youngest was born in the United States, so was already a citizen. Right. Uh, so uh, next time you want to complain about, like, immigrants overstaying their visas... Think about keeping the Von Trapp family singers out of a country when they're trying to escape a wartime and then becoming citizens and shooting Nazis for us. Think about that. Yeah. Just think about it. Yeah. I mean, they were, like, not even citizens yet when they went to go shoot the yeah. Nazis. They only became citizens after the fact. <laughs> so Georg died in 1947 from lung cancer. He outlived Hitler, and I'm sure he was very proud of that fact. Tearing that flag to the grave. <laughs> He's buried in the family cemetery on their property in Vermont. They opened the trap of uh, the trap, the, the trap family lodge in 1950. It's a hotel and resort mm -hmm. skiing place. All and that practice they had renting out their Salzburg place. Yeah, well, it's still in operation. You can still go there. Why didn't we go? Well, we could go there still. Let's go to Vermont. The trap family. Singers stopped touring in 1955. Mm -hmm. By that point, uh, they consisted of mostly non-family members, as the family members were pursuing other things. Maria died of heart failure in 1987. Oh. So, we're going to talk about the kids a bit. Okay, sure. So, in the musicals, the seven children are Liesl, who's mm -hmm. 16. And does not need a governess. Does not need a governess. She's the one that's in love with the Nazi. Frederick, who's 14. Anything to say about Frederick? He's impossible. Uh, Louisa, who's 13. And uh, tries to give a fake name. Yes. Kurt, who's 11. He's incorrigible. He's incorrigible, yes. Yes. Brigitte, who's 10. And corrects uh, Louisa. Uh-huh. And also states that she has a very ugly dress. Marta, who's 7. And who will be uh, seven on Tuesday. Yes. And wants a pink parasol. Yes. And Gretel. Who is silent. And five. <laughs> so those are like... The... She doesn't talk until halfway through the movie. None of those names are actually the children's names. <laughs> Wait, or ages. They changed all the kids' names, but they kept Georg. They kept Georg. Of the original seven from him and his first wife. The oldest is not a girl. Okay. The oldest is a boy named Rupert. Rupert was born in 1911, so his character in the movie was 14. He was actually 27 at that time. 
<laughs> like, if you compare what his age would have been to, like, the time that that came out. Yeah. Well, it depends on if you're comparing it to his age at the time of escape. Time of escape. Or the time of Maria coming into their lives. I did it for time of escape. It, so it when Maria like actually came, he was, like, 17. Yeah. The next oldest was Agatha, who was portrayed by Liesel, the oldest. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1913. So at the time of escape, she would have been 25. At the time of Maria coming, 15. Then there's Maria. The, <laughs> the, the one the, with Scarlet Fever. The one with Scarlet Fever that she actually came to like take care of. She was portrayed by Louisa. Uh, she was 24 when they escaped. Not 13. Warner, born in 1915. He was portrayed by Kurt. He was 23, not 11. Uh, Hedwig, who's played by... Wait, wait, wait. That's an entirely different musical. Uh... <laughs> Hedwig was played by... As Brigitta. She was actually 21, not 10. It's <laughs> a big difference. Uh, Joanna was born in 1919. She was 19, not 7, like Marta. And Martina was 17, not 5, like Gretel. So I'm like, what happened to these children afterwards? Yeah. Now, Rupert was actually like a grown person, you know? <laughs> like, he was 27 when they came to America. Uh, he was already a medical doctor in Austria. Uh, in 1938, he'd actually been offered a job in Vienna, um, oh, like a, a physician that's position. That's a tricky wicket. Well, he refused it because it was being taken away from a Jewish physician by the Nazis. And he said, no, I'm not taking it. He's, he's not going to participate in the, the disenfranchisement. Yes. So Rupert is very much like his father. Yeah. Good job, Rupert. Good job. Uh, Rupert is one of the ones who went on to be in the army. Serving um, as a medic, likely, I guess. Probably. He ended up getting married and having six children. Uh, and then remarried again in the 60s. He did die in 1992. Agatha taught briefly out of high school well in Austria. Um, she actually sang with the group till her last show. She's the only uh, child to do that, Aww. to sing with them the whole time. Uh, she went on to then be a kindergarten teacher, founding some kindergartens, and she was also very known for painting. Uh, she died in 2010. Oh. Uh, Maria, the child, was a missionary for 30 years in Papua New Guinea, huh. um, which Maria and one of the other children also, like, went to Papua New Guinea for a little while, but she was the one who, like, stayed a really long time. Did she go into... Did she become a nun? Like, her mom almost did. Like, her stepmom almost did. No, I don't believe so. Not, so a different kind of missionary. Yeah. Different, different... Not, not like a nun missionary, but she did go, like... Yeah. Do that. She did the work. She did the work. She adopted a son while there. Oh. Uh, she died in 2014. Warner also served in World War II. Uh, then became a farmer, married, and had six children. He passed away in 2007. Uh, Hedwig became a music teacher. Uh, she lived in Hawaii for a really long time teaching. Oh, that's cool. Um, and at one point did move back to Austria. Uh, she died in 1972. Oh. Uh, Joanna married and lived between the U.S. and Austria and had seven children. She died in 1984. And Martina... Married in 1949, but died in childbirth in 1951. Oh. Yeah, that one's sad. Then there are the three children that Maria and the captain had together. So there was Rosemary. So all of the uh, seven original ones mm -hmm. have all passed away. The three from Maria and the captain are all still alive. Oh, wow. Um, 
Or at least I did not see any death dates. I believe they're all still alive. <laughs> Nothing told me otherwise. Doing research, you gotta like cross-check like seven sites to make sure no one's died. Because some <laughs> of them are not updated, yeah, let me yeah. tell you. So Rosemary is there first uh, after being married. She still resides in Vermont. She was either born in 1929 or 1928. In 1944, Maria, while under oath for naturalization, gave marriage date as November 26, 1927. Mm -hmm. And the birth date of Rosemary as February 8th, 1928. So sure. just a couple months later. Mm. She also signed the petition for naturalization the same way. So that means she was pregnant during the wedding and gave birth a couple months later. How do you solve a problem like that? Now, the family disputes that, and the book uses the date 1929. Okay. But... All that other stuff says 1928. Would she have made the same paperwork mistake twice? Yeah, that's I the mean, thing. maybe. She seemed that, like that, kind of a flighty lady in some cases. I, so, <laughs> who knows? Her age is up for debate. Her birthday's up for debate. Was Maria pregnant? Walking down the aisle. Don't know. Her second daughter was Eleanor. She was born in 1931. She also resides in Vermont. Um, and then Johan was born in 1939. It's the one that was born in Pennsylvania. Johan currently manages the Trap Family Lodge. Oh, okay. Um, it was the one that kind of like took it over and uh, really took the like hold on that. The family never saw like much of anything in profits from the movie or films because, as we said, they were sold to uh, German producers. So they signed their rights away, and then the Americans bought it from the Germans. Right. So, like, no money. Now, the real Maria and family were not invited to the premiere. You can be in front of the camera, <laughs> but you can't come watch it with us. Uh, That's a bit much. It said that after not getting, like, an invite, she, like, called them up and was like, can, can I come? And they're like, sorry, there's no tickets left. First off, that's ridiculous. Second, to be fair, she was bringing ten kids. <laughs> It's a lot of kids. Uh, they were all adults by then. They she could have come by her own. They still need seats. They, they, there's not that many. But to kind of end this, uh, on a happy note, the mm -hmm. first Sound of Music sing-along happened in 1999, and they are going strong. So uh, aren't isn't there a current Von Trapp family singers? Who are they? Yes. Um, the current Von Trapp family singers is made up of Four of Warner's grandchildren. Ah, okay. Yes. So it does, they do still exist, mm -hmm. just in a different way now. <laughs> but they're all entirely Von Trapp children. Yes. Just the great grandchildren of Georg. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> did you learn some things? I did. About our, our favorite musical? Well, one of our favorite <laughs> I musicals? I wouldn't go that far. I mean, mine's still Newsies, what can I say? But... <laughs> Our favorite holiday tradition. Yeah. So what I think I learned is that while The Sound of Music, the film, is essentially the, this broadly entertaining commercial piece of film, mm -hmm. it also really uh, uh, brings some talent to the forefront, and it highlights a story while it flattens it a bit, it keeps the core of what makes it powerful, the, the resistance to fascist encroachment and just the, the ability of a family to come together and 
accept new members and become even stronger. Mm-hmm. Sing some catchy songs and, and recognize we're stronger together. Yeah. Sound of music right there. So we're going to be right back with some uh, listener mail and our usual going away business. See you in just one second. to listener mail oh yeah at the end of the last episode uh elena asked you to tell us about your favorite movie based on a true story i think now you know why <laughs> listener david got back to us with a big roundup of a lot of uh different prompts so i'm going to pick out a few uh, favorite boat, USS Enterprise, all of them, real and fictional. Yeah. Uh, moral panic, the satanic panic around Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it had a Tom Hanks movie about it. Uh, local oddity, in the Montreal area, July 1st is not just Canada Day, it's moving day because of a, a weird quirk of like tenants' rights and like leasing laws. I don't have the time right now, but I encourage everyone to look up like Montreal moving day because it's Cool how the law works sometimes. Uh, every seven years, uh, the 242 William Street Montreal address is haunted by the decapitated ghost of prostitute Mary Gallagher wandering looking for her missing head. So, uh, watch out. Coming up to the most recent prompt, David's, uh, favorite true story to film is cheating a little bit the band of brothers miniseries by hbo uh dramatizing the story of easy company 101st airborne division throughout world war ii and you might recognize it for having every single american actor in it and many british ones as well all of them everybody was in that thanks david and james sent us an email uh, their favorite movie that is grounded in real life events is Good Night and Good Luck. But recently they found out that, uh, the movie 5050 is loosely based on Will Risers, who's the writer of the film's Battle with Cancer. We love both of those movies. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. <laughs> uh, Leanne sent us an email as well. Favorite true story to film Apollo 13. Yes! Big Tom. Tom Hanks. I love Apollo 13 so much. Uh, Leanne says she really enjoys it um, because space stuff fascinates her and loves seeing how they deal with problems that pop up even if dramatized. I had to watch it at a leadership training resort. Uh, uh, retreat yeah. uh, as an example of problem solving and communication. Oh. Like being able to like keep on task no matter how like emotional things are getting yeah yeah 
We watched Nanook of the North at my training things. <laughs> that was about like how many people can you stuff in a canoe? It's a, it turns out it's a <laughs> it's lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. Leanne also throws back to our last episode with a sports story uh, that also kind of goes with this one. So during the 1988 Olympics, uh, Leanne's mother got tickets to see one event. Leanne's mother saw the bobsledding. And sure enough, it was the one where the Jamaican bobsled team, that one run where they things just go very wrong. But maybe they go right. Cool Runnings was a very important movie to my childhood. Was it because of your massive crush on John Candy? No. Okay. Well, thanks, Leanne. Joshua writes in to say uh, his favorite, based on a true story film, Saving Private Ryan, Big Tom Hanks. So much Tom Hanks. Uh, and goes on to point how very loosely based on the true story it is. There, there was a story that inspired Steven Spielberg about a person fighting in World War II who had to be retrieved because all of his brothers had died in fighting. That's the rules, right? He, he gets to go home now. Yeah. He wasn't a private or named Ryan, nor was he on the front. Uh, so... A lot of details were changed in, in the, the quest for a more dramatic film. But it is a fantastic movie. And thank you, Joshua. We always have to rescue Matt Damon. Always. Always. That boy needs to stop getting in trouble. His treadstone training is so valuable. <laughs> Bob sent us an email. Bob's favorite movies based on true story would have to be uh, the genre of spy stories. Yeah. Um, movies like Argo, Munich, The Good Shepherd. Yeah. Really likes the tense feeling of a well-told spy story and knowing uh that things like that actually happen with no one like knowing it was happening while mm -hmm. it was happening he, he even points true. out the more uh realistic in in terms of their tradecraft uh fictional spy stories like john le Carre's novels mm -hmm. john le Carre, excuse me <laughs> so thank you bob thanks bob Ian writes back once more to talk about Into the Wild, directed by Sean Penn, 2007. The story of Christopher McCandless uh, being sick of his life and just dropping all of his responsibilities and going out on his own, living the hobo life uh, out in Alaska and finding some sort of modern enlightenment and uh, wasting away and leaving behind a journal. At one point, literally burning all of his money and starting oh. over from scratch. There is a song from that movie that pops up on my Pandora all the time, and I really <laughs> love that song. It's a good song. Thanks to Ian, and thanks to Pandora. <laughs> uh, Sarah! Sarah, my bridesmaid, Sarah! So Sarah sent us, it doesn't really have to do with this prompt, um, but Sarah sent us a link, which I encourage people to definitely... I'll put it in the notes. Uh, yeah, we'll put it in. It's about the forgotten entrance to Clinton Hall, which has to deal with the Shakespeare riot in New York. It was partially just about who's better, Hamlet or Macbeth. And about some other stuff, too. <laughs> definitely go read it. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. I bet you can guess what century that took place in. <laughs> The 1800s were wild, y'all. Everything was popping off. So thanks for sending that, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Flavifibe writes in once more to say that their favorite film based on a real-life event is Fargo. It says so right in that opening title card. It does. 
But seriously, folks, uh, <laughs> their actual answer is Maurice, a merchant ivory film based on a book by E.M. Forster, inspired by the homosexual relationship between poet er Edward Carper and his partner, George Merrill. You've got Hugh Grant. You got your Rupert Graves doing a goofy accent, a little dash of Ben Kingsley, uh, perhaps the English Tom Hanks, many, <laughs> many would say. Uh, now, the events of the movie never actually happened. But as with all based on a true story films, there's a fine line, I think. <laughs> you could say that about a lot of them that still get credit for that. Yeah. It is one of the sadly few gay stories to actually get a happy ending. They, they just fall in love and no one has to tragically die at the end. Aw, that's yeah. good. Yeah. So thanks for writing in, Flava Fibe. And that brings us to Tammy. Tammy wants to tell us about her, her love of Lawrence of Arabia. Peter O'Toole does rival Christopher Plummer for Handsomest Man Alive. No? Mm -mm. Not even close. Mm -mm. I think he's pretty close. Uh -uh. The, like, Christopher Plummer looks, mm -hmm. the hand gestures, just makes you weak in the knees. Okay, what about Omar Sharif? Lawrence of Arabia is a pretty, pretty movie. <laughs> it is a very pretty movie. For many reasons. Yeah, I mean, the the landscape shots of, you know, the title character, Arabia. Uh, <laughs> and runner-up for her, The Imitation Game, a much more uh, recent film about the life of Alan Turing. Which is one that I didn't enjoy because it's a bit too ahistorical. Like, this yeah. is one that crossed the line for me. Yeah, like, I wasn't a big fan. Thanks for writing in, Tammy. Porin sent us an email. And As yes, he always does. You made it in time. Don't you worry. Movie pick would be Army of One. Very recent. Came Very, out this year. Yes. Starring Nicolas Cage playing a real-life Gary Faulkner, an unemployed American who one day has a vision of God telling him to go find and kill Osama bin Laden. So he sets off all alone to Pakistan, armed with a sword he bought off a TV infomercial. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I had well, to read that word for word because you wrote it so beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you look at the cast list and, and notice that uh, most of the other actors are just comedians, I'm guessing a lot of things go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> kind of screamed when I read the PS earlier that you might go take some pictures over by the bridge over the River Kwai for us. And I was a little like... <laughs> yeah, nobody put that in. I guess because we already talked about it on the show because of Purin. I guess they figured it was covered. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Purin. Thank you very much. So yeah, so that's that's our list of mail for this episode. Do we have a prompt for our next episode? Now, uh, our next one is going to be the last one to come out in 2016. It's going to be our, we'll be deep into the holidays. Yes, so uh, it won't have anything to do with the content of the episode, but we would love to hear about uh, favorite uh, holiday traditions you have, whether um, it's... Holiday memory. Or or a memory, yeah. Yeah, if you don't have traditions, a memory, maybe. Your own personal history. Yeah, yes, and, you make uh, history every day. And Tell where, us about yours. And where can folks send those uh, personal memories and traditions? Uh, they, they can be sent to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Uh, you can also get in touch with us there for any other number of things. Yeah. Show suggestions, just to chat. We're also chattable on Twitter at History Honeys, Facebook at History Honeys, and you can see pictures from us on Instagram. At History Honeys. What? We made it so easy for you guys. So, speaking of the holiday season, that yeah. means it's shopping time. It 
is. And in case you missed it, here's a personal plug. I run an Etsy shop called Mad Fuzz, where I sell hand-knit items and hand-sewn pieces, mostly of things you can wear like hats or nice little plushy monsters that are very cute. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I am offering a coupon code till December 31st. Um, if you are interested in purchasing anything off of Mad Fuzz, you can use my coupon code HH2016 mm-hmm. and you will get 16% off your order. Now, what's HH short for? History, honeys. We make it so easy for ah! you. <laughs> um, and if you are someone who lives outside the U.S. and you're really interested, shoot me a message. I could maybe swing some international shipping if possible. Um, so we'll put a link in the description uh, to my shop with a note for that code if you're interested. Absolutely. And while you're checking out the show notes for, for all of our links and plugs and that article from Sarah, <laughs> why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on the Google Play Store? Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps people find us. And then we get to grow our History Honeys family, and, and we all hug and, and tell scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. <laughs> nice, nice. That was good. It is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> While you're hanging out with your family and friends, tell them the scary ghost stories of uh, Harpo Studios. Yeah. Or uh, JJ the Horse-Faced Horse. Or about a boat that flipped and killed everyone. <laughs> You know, all those uplifting tales for the holidays. What we're saying is word of mouth also grows the show by leaps and bounds. And we love uh, getting people to, to join us and join you. And we, we, we love you all so much. Aww. 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 So with that, I'm Elena. And I'm Grant. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.